Hello and welcome to the ETOF21 Sports Podcast. My name is Eric. I'm the man behind ETOF21 Sports. You can find my work at ETOF21 Sports on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Snapchat, you name it, I am out there. Wow, what an entertaining first weekend of the football. I learned some stuff and I'm looking forward to next week and we have another good game coming up this evening, hopefully with Ohio State against Alabama in the national championship. Plays have been sent out for that game. If anyone is interested in the betting service, shoot me a DM. All my prices can be found on my website, etop21sports.com. And here is something I just want to throw out there. It amazes me when I do good, eh, nothing, you know. When I do have a bad day, and I'll be honest, anyone that says that they win every single day is full of shit. No one wins every single day. I am very honest. I believe I'm the only person who does offer a betting sheet that is having his spreadsheets out there for everyone to see. No one else is doing that. And they're full of shit. And I always find it funny. Anyone who says they're on like a 20 to 9 run or 22 to 1 run, yeah, that's short term results. Those really don't matter. At the end of the day, you want to have ROI, return on investment. You want to have a positive return on investment. And, you know, I'm on my winning days, my losing days, but at the end of the day, the ROI across all the sports is positive, and that's what it's all about. Which not many people can say, but after all my years in the game, I can say. But enough about that. Let's dive right in. We have a great show today. I'm going to be going through these NFL games, giving you my thoughts on these NFL games from the weekend. My guy Jason, Bully the Line, is going to be coming on. He's going to be talking, him and I are going to be talking a little NHL. So as you can see, we have a nice little show planned. So let's let's dive right into it. First game of the weekend, Colts at the Bills. Me and my boys, we had the Colts plus the seven, and we had the money line. I believe it was plus 265. So this game, Colts came out, and Colts did basically what I thought they would do. Worked the play collect down, kept Allen and the offense on the sidelines, and they dominated that first half. They utterly dominated the first half, drove down to the end of the field. Um, I believe it was fourth and one. Then there was a penalty that moved them back, so it was fourth and goal from the six. Obviously, anyone that listens to me knows that my belief in the first half and even the third quarter is you take the points. You always take the points because you want to create scoreboard pressure on the other team and you don't want to give the other team momentum. And the I hate the fact that Frank Wright chased points. This happens all the time in the NFL. A team chases points. You give the other team momentum. And the other team now believes that they can stop you and are it, is it, it basically isn't worried about you. It's a huge mental advantage for the other team if you go for it and you don't make it. But if you go for it, take the three, put a little score pressure on. Josh Allen, let's face it, guys. Has Josh Allen really performed in pressure games? No, he, he really hasn't. And even the close of that game, he really didn't perform that well. It's not like he moved him down, got him a first down, they were able to run out the clock. No, he took a bad sack, made a couple bad throws, and they had to punt. So that that chasing points right there to close out that first half was brutal. So now, instead of having a 
what would it be? Having a 13 to 7 lead. Now you still have a 10 to 7 lead. Okay. Now you allow the Bills to drive down. It's fourth down. The Bills are obviously trying to draw you off sides. And they get drawn off sides. That's preparation and coaching right there. Then Rhodes gets hurt. Isaiah Rogers came in. Makes a great play. Unfortunately, drops a pick. And then you could kind of see that a TD was coming. Buffalo scores that TD. All the momentum going in the halftime. Doesn't look back and gets the win. All the momentum. All the momentum going in the halftime. Giants did the same thing against the Browns. That is why you always take the points. Frank Wright's coaching in this game was awful. Awful. Decision-making. Awful. Brutal. Just fucking brutal. Now, Mike Greenberg tweeted out that the Bills won the game because of coaching. And I retweeted, oh, what game are you watching? And someone hit me back and explained to me, like, I didn't understand (laughs) that the Bills coach, McDermott, took the timeout. Well, McDermott really didn't coach a good game either. Did you guys see the clock management? Where was the four-minute offense? Bills got the ball back up by three. Got the ball back up by three. And they're having Allen run fucking around and trying to pass the ball. So you guys coming at me saying, oh, yeah, they totally won because of McDermott's coaching. What game were you watching? It happened to work out. The Bills won the game. Yeah, they did. Congrats to Bills fans. I have a couple of my guys that are part of the service are Bills fans. Congrats. I am happy for As a Lions fan, I hope one day I can experience what winning an NFL playoff game feels like. But let's be honest. That clock management by the Bills wasn't that good toward the end of the game. Now, also, that was a fumble by Pascal. That It just blows my mind. Overall, NFL officiating was awful this weekend. Just fucking awful. Awful. And that was a clear-cut fumble. And I... I can't wait until it's the Super Bowl and there's even more eyes and an official fucks stuff up. In terms of the Colts moving forward, their main issue is Phillip Rivers. I mean, they need to decide what they're going to do with him. And then after that, they need to kind of go from there. I mean, they have the kid, Eason, who I really wasn't that high on coming out of college. They have Jacoby Brissett. But there's going to be some quarterbacks that are available that are kind of interesting moving forward. They could try to get Wentz and reunite Wentz with Wright and kind of see if they can get some of that magic going. All these rumors about Detroit, are they going to move on from Stafford? Are they not going to move on from Matt Stafford? You have the Falcons with Matt Ryan. What's going to happen there? They have the fourth pick overall. Good position to graft the quarterback. And then you have the truth, Mitch Trubitsky, who, let's face it, he gets scapegoated a lot of the times for the issues that the Bears have. But in his four years there, he took him to the playoffs twice and gave him a division title and put him in a position to win another game, but a field goal was blocked. So it could they go after Mitch Trubisky? Have Rivers come back, then you have Trubisky there, and he's just kind of there waiting and see what you have. Interesting thought.
I mean, that's an interesting thought. And he wouldn't cost you as much money as the other other guys. And then after two years, you can see what you have with Eason. I really don't think Eason's going to be it. I've said it from the get-go. But in terms of, like I said in my draft recap, Eason basically was everything Philip Rivers was coming out of college. So he did end up in a good place. Maybe Rivers can teach him a thing or two. But I really don't think Eason is the long-term guy and that they need to find their next quarterback. And maybe they do go after Trips. Trips would be a nice low-budget option for Indiana. Now, the following game was the Rams at the Seahawks. Me and my guys, we had the Rams plus four here. Thought process was that the Rams were just going to milk the clock, keep the Seahawks off the field, and they're going to be able to move the ball with Cam Akers, which they were able to do. And this Rams defense, they have three DBs in the top 25, and they're the number one scoring defense. So I really felt that Seattle was going to have a hard time moving the ball, and Wilson was going to struggle. And I faded DK in every single one of my DraftKings lineups. Every single one of my lineups. So we hit this one on the head as Seattle was only able to generate 278 yards and they were able to limit Russell Wilson to 174. So the Rams defense, it's interesting. I mean, they're going to have their hands full, especially if Donald can't play in Green Bay. Jalen Ramsey, Devontae Adams, that's a popcorn matchup. But let's focus on this game because I don't, I don't want to do a preview episode. Yeah, Rams were able to control the clock. And Seattle's inefficiencies are they're just not throwing the ball enough on first down. And then they had that awful play where they tried to force it to Metcalf. There was a pick six. I mean, it's... Their offense just looks like shit. And they're trying to run the ball more, trying to get Carson established. I understand how in the NFL that playoff football is different than regular season football. And you have to value the ball more and not give your opponent much chances and everything. But it's important to remember this offensive line that Seattle has now isn't the offensive line that that when they had Lynch and... Lynch was just dominating. And Carson isn't Lynch. So you're going to have to let Russ cook a little bit and let him throw a little bit. And a lot of the schoolyard stuff just isn't working anymore. It's because their offensive line is as poor as it is. So that was basically Seattle's issue. In terms of the Rams, like I said, they pounded the shit out of the ball with Akers. Akers played great. Shout out to everyone that said I was an idiot when I said Akers was the best back in this class. Yeah, you guys, yeah. Yep, I remember all you guys. Same guys that said I know nothing about Tua. Yep, I remember all you. But anyway, they ran the ball. They drove it down with Akers. Akers looked great. Woodford, unfortunately, got hurt on that play with Adams. Was it a dirty play? No. I don't think, I don't think he was necessarily trying to hit him. I think he was just trying to make a tackle. But I think he should have gotten a penalty. I don't think he was trying to hurt him, but I think he should have got a penalty. And then Goff came in, and I'll give Goff credit. You know, he just had surgery in his throwing thumb. He couldn't. He still had his stitches in. Didn't turn the ball over. And he, I mean, he played sufficient. He was 
9 for 19, buck 55, 1 TD. He did what he could do given the hand he was dealt. And it's going to be interesting to see how that heals. And if Woodford is able to play, who, who does McVay go with at quarterback? If Goff can't throw the ball, I think, I don't know. I, re, I don't know what McVay is going to do. I'm going to do a little bit more research. But if Akers is running the way they are and their defense and Donald's playing, this Rams team, they're, they're getting seven right now. And it's gonna be interesting to see like how this line moves. But they're gonna be a little they they could they have the possibility to get, give Green Bay fits. Next game. Tampa Bay 31, Washington 23. This game right here, in terms of betting, this is why it's all about value. I mean, the line opened up at seven. Me and my guys hopped on it when it got all the way up to nine and a half. Game finished at eight. So it's possible that you could have won the minus seven bet and me and my guys won the plus nine and a half bet. So you guys got to find value. That's what it's all about, trying to find line value. Now, in terms of this game, Washington, the the main thing that stuck out for me in this game here is I really felt like Washington's defensive lineman. And for those of you wondering, we hit Washington plus nine and a half, but we lost the first half under. Also in the other games, we I always play first touch game, touchdown score, throw on half a unit. Um, first game, who do we have the first game? Jonathan Taylor, who scored the second touchdown. Second game, we had Bobby Trees, who was open, but bad throw slash drop to score this the first touchdown in that game. This one, we had J.D. McKessick, who actually did score a touchdown. But anyway, in this game, the main thing that stood out to me was I really thought that Washington had a huge advantage in the trenches and was going to be able to get to the quarterback. They weren't able to get to the quarterback at all. Brady wasn't able to get to the quarterback at all. And Gronk was able to block Chase Young. Now, when we start talking about tight ends and best tight end ever, part of the tight end position is able to block. That's why I am always going to put Gronkowski Gronkowski, one step ahead of Travis Kelsey. Because Kelsey can't fucking block at all. And another thing with Kelsey... I refuse to give anyone that went on a shitty-ass VH1 reality show the time of day when it comes to good football players. That's just the way I am. Maybe I'm a dick, but that's just fucking me, guys. Now, moving on. If Tampa's offensive line plays as well as they did, like if this is like the bar, the norm, they're going to be a tough out because Brady's not going to be getting any pressure. So that was really impressive what I saw from them. And... But their defense needs to improve a little bit. You cannot allow Tyler Hankey to throw for 306. I mean, if Hankey's able to do that against this defense, what are Mahomes, Rodgers, those type of players going to be able to do against this defense? Something to think about for the Bucks moving forward. But like what I saw from them, and I'm actually looking forward to the Saints game on Sunday. Me and my boys already have a play that's been sent out and locked in. In terms of Washington moving forward, I mean, they just need a quarterback. They really need a quarterback. They need another wide receiver. And I will tell you guys right now, J.D. McKissick is not going to be any good in fantasy. He's going to be overdrafted because of all the receptions. And I give credit to Alex Smith. Alex Smith coming in and leading this team to the playoffs – 
was great, but unfortunately, you need to hang it up, buddy. I I, I respect you. I watched that special on ESPN, but you got to hang it up. And you should probably look to get into coaching because you can definitely motivate people. So that's kind of where I think about Washington. You know, they're building the defensive line, building the offensive line. Now you just need a signal caller. Maybe they go after Wentz. But I doubt Wentz would trade interdivision. Ryan would make sense there. Stafford would look really good there. So it's going to be really interesting to see how Washington addresses the quarterback situation in the offseason. Now, next game, Titans at Titans hosting the Ravens. Excuse me. Me and my guys, we had the Ravens minus three. We had the under of 55. And we also had Mark and no, we had Andrews. Mark Andrews to score the first touchdown here. So that was a good start to the betting day. Get three U's on the Ravens, two U's on the under. Unfortunately, lost half a U on the Andrews prop. Obviously, the first thing I need to talk about is that OPI that wasn't called. I mean, clear push-off by A.J. Brown. And A.J. Brown is a man out there. But that was a clear push-off. And that's the thing. The officiating was awful. You have a national televised game. Uh, I believe Freeform was on it. And doing their social media. They had social media people commenting on the game. It was on ESPN. ESPN had the betting show, which I didn't watch the betting show. So if anyone did, let me know how that was. And there was a clear OPI, and it wasn't called. And like I said, there's this is going to happen in the Super Bowl. There's going to be a game-changing play that's not called. And Goodell's going to have to do something. Just like players are held accom- accountable, officials need to be held accountable for shitty officiating. And trust me, as a Lions fan, no one is used to shitty officiating more than I am. Then, again, 7-0 Ravens. Ravens drove, drove down, kicked the field goal. Now, this is when it got interesting for me. Titans were moving the ball, looking efficient, and they started running Derrick Henry on first down. And I understand Henry's your guy, you want to get him going, whatever, but you at least got to look at what they were doing. At one point in the game, they were averaging 2.1 yards a carry with Derrick Henry on first down, but 15 yards a, a gain, a play, when they're passing the ball. So Arthur Smith went into this running with Derrick Henry way, way, way too much. Ravens were able to get a stop. And then arcade mode with Lamar Jackson. God, that guy is so fast. And I love that. I just like him. I like how he's succeeding. I like how him moving forward as a player and everything. Right attitude and everything. Huge TT run. Move the game. Change the momentum. Then I just don't understand at the end of the half... Why isn't Vrabel using the clock better? Why isn't he, you know what I mean? Why that clock management at the end of the half, why isn't he taking timeouts there so Tannehill can get the ball back when the Ravens had it? So Vrabel's use of the time management was very suspect going into the half. That really stuck out to me because Vrabel's usually, as he showed last year in the game against the Patriots, very savvy with time management. And that it was just really poor on him. The 10-minute mark of the fourth, fourth down, and you punt the ball? You you punt the ball. Fourth, what was it, fourth and two from, what was it, the Ravens 40, and you punt the fucking ball? Vrabel, who's Mr. Analytics, and I'm not Mr. Analytics at all. I fucking hate analytics. 
and I'll tell you guys why for the millionth time. At the, I understand math. Trust me, no one understands math better than me. Old man's an accountant. Math was, I have his accounting gene. I use equations for everything that I do for fantasy football, and I use some of it for betting too. And so I understand that. Trust me, no one understands that more. But when you get grown men and then not a round shaped ball on a field, there's only so much analytics to do. Now, I will never understand why you didn't put Tannehill in the gun. You put Henry back there next to him. And you put Janu and A.J. Brown on the right side of the line. You run an RPO with Tanny. Tanny has the option of running it himself, giving it to Henry, or you have Brown run a, a, a pick route and have Smith pick the guy on the inside and hit Brown for the two yards. I, For the life of me, I will never understand why Arthur Smith didn't call that play. For the life of me. Went down and punted, went all the way down, and then there was that awful pick call. How the fuck was that a pick on Willie Sneed? Led to a field goal. Ravens were able to get the stop. That's the ball game. Got the pick and everything with, um, what was it, Humphreys who got the pick? But yeah, that was that game played out. And I sent my guys, I said on the Gino Piccolo podcast that I like this Ravens team. I sent my guys out Ravens plus 14 to win it all right before the playoffs. This Ravens team's dangerous. I mean, they are really, really dangerous. Defense is starting to get everyone back. Lamar Jackson is peaking at the right time. Hollywood Brown, another game over 100 yards. Those guys are hitting their strides. And their run game, J.D. Gobbins is, a, is, is on fire, dude. So this team is going to be a hard team, and I'm really looking forward to that Bills game. Right now the line is at 2.5. Oh, God. Eh, just got to sit this one out, see what the number does. In terms of the Titans moving forward, when does Derrick Henry's regression start? I mean, you look at his touches over the last two years. I mean, over the last three years. It's just more and more, and he's getting up there. He's, he's what is he, 28 right now? 29? Eventually, that just takes a toll on people. I know he's this beast, this man among boys, if you will. But eventually, that wear and tear is going to take a toll on Henry, and he's going to eventually start to slow down. So we have to, you, you guys have to remember that. I'm working on my fantasy football rankings for next year and you guys are going to be surprised where I have Derrick Henry and who I have over him and also for the Titans they they need to shore up that line they picked that kid from Georgia Isaiah Washington he has been a disappointment trouble you know DUI you know got COVID they need to shore up that line losing Conklin was huge for them and they need to get a pass rusher and their DBs are awful Titans have some of the worst DBs in the league. Can't stop shit. My old ass could run past them. So the Titans definitely need to address the back four, get a pass rusher, and sure up that offensive line, and then have a plan when Henry hits the wall. Because I'll be honest, like, I don't trust Tannehill. Yeah, Tannehill's done good, but in a playoff game, do you guys trust Tannehill to get it done? Because I sure the hell don't. Bears versus Saints. Jesus Christ. We hit the Thomas first TD prop. We lost the first half. No, game over and second half over the drop TD by the Bears. Jesus, you got to bring that in. 
you have to bring that in. There is that awful penalty for Komet for throwing the ball at an official. And the Saints, Saints have a bunch of DBs that will get under your skin and will make you do stupid shit. And it happened in the first game. It happened with Komet. And it happened with on Anthony Miller in the third quarter, was it? When he got tossed out for slapping a guy in the face. So the Bears team is just not disciplined and guys that comes from coaching i've been on matt nagy for a couple years now hell i was even on him year one that he's not that good of a coach he he's not he got a lot of cred for that chiefs thing and now because of trubisky who's basically leaving town because there's no way he's signing but i'll get into that later nagy's still going to be stuck here (laughs) and i'll tell you what bears fans with Nagy as your head coach it's going to be rough he's not that good at a disciplinarian you can tell that by what happened with the penalties yesterday he's not that good of an in-game manager even look at the the everyone knows my philosophy starting the first half start ending the first half starting the second half you want to win that that's very key you want to win that that's a very critical 10 minutes and Nagy gets the ball with a minute 46 left, three timeouts, and he has them run the fucking ball? Are you fucking kidding me? He has them run the fucking ball. What the fuck is that shit? How soft as a coach you can be? You have to play to win the game. You have to. And take chances and put points on the board you cannot leave points off the board the bears already left seven points off the board with a drop touchdown and now you have a chance to drive down maybe get three points before the half and you get the ball to start the second half and you call three motherfucking runs that's what you do like that that spoke volumes of me about Nagy, and i'll like i'll be legit if I'm the Bears and I understand they got a new president and because they got a new president, more than likely they're not going to be switching their GM position and they're not going to be switching Nagy because they want the president to kind of oversee what's going on with them. But you guys have Nagy. Dude, after what I saw for three years and yesterday, I don't carry us to two playoff experiences. He sucks. He's a bad coach. Bad coach. Bad bad in-game manager. Bad disciplinarian. Just bad. In terms of the Saints, Breeze can't throw it down the field anymore. Defense looked good. Thomas and Kamara. And the thing that Peyton did with Thomas and Kamara two years ago, he kind of got away from it last year. Didn't do it that much this year because, because Thomas has been banged up. Is he would always have... Kamara and Thomas on the same side of the field. And that really put defenses in a stressful situation. He started doing that more yesterday. So Saints are going to be a tough little out. Like I said, I'm looking forward to that Saints-Bucks game. And I would look for Payton to do that more moving forward. And also, why the fuck was Taysom Hill in? Did everyone notice Taysom Hill comes in, arm hit, turnover, three points. If they're playing a team that had a better offense and a capable head coach 
that could have turned into seven. That could have flipped the game. That's a 7-0 game. You put in a gadget player, and let's face it, that's what Taysom Hill is, and he has an awful turnover, and the Bears are right in scoring position. I've said it numerous times. I don't know what the fuck Sean Payne's obsession is with Taysom Hill, but that shit is going to cost him a playoff game like it does every fucking year. Also, I don't know if you guys saw, but Nickelodeon had the game on, and I will give Nickelodeon props. This was insanely, insanely done well. Burleson did a great work explaining stuff. They had little Sheldon come on explaining anytime there was a penalty. They had the slime zone anytime someone scored a touchdown. I, it was just a well product. SpongeBob, everything. Now, why did they do this? Okay, guys, we got to remember it's a different generation now. Like, I saw my nephews. My nephews are five, eight, and one. Now, the one year old, he's running around doing his thing, kicking ball, kicking soccer, kicking little soccer balls, playing with trucks, whatever. Now, the five and eight year old, they're all into phones, Minecraft, whatever. When we were five and eight, I was out playing. Play, have it be football, baseball, basketball, soccer, whatever. Now, these kids are just engulfed with apps and video games. And if the NFL and other sports don't do something, I mean, it could be the downfall of sports just because you're not going to have that athletic kid playing it just because they'll be doing other things. So that's why the NFL did it. And I think it's great. I think more sports should put stuff on Nickelodeon just to kind of help grow the game and props to Nickelodeon. I mean, they did an outstanding job, outstanding job with everything. Props, props for them. I actually watched the game on Nickelodeon instead of watching it on what was it on CBS. Now, Last game, Browns-Steelers. First of all, I love how everyone's on social media. Oh, I knew the Browns were going to win. Okay, that's fine. But did you know the Browns were going to win because the Steelers basically gave them the game because they had three turnovers, boom, like that, 21-0? No, no one knew that. So all you guys bumping your chest, oh, I knew this was going to happen. Let's pump the fucking brakes. Steelers looked like absolute shit, and no one saw that coming. No one saw Pouncey hiking the ball over Big Ben's head. Big Ben throwing these awful interceptions. I had the Steelers minus the six. I did. And like I said, this was my thought process. I really felt that the Browns have been in situations that they had a chance to show me that they were a winning franchise, and they shit the bet. Have it be three weeks ago now against the Jets, or last week versus the same Steelers team when they had their backups. So this Browns team hasn't shown me anything. They're missing key pieces on their defensive line and offensive line. They didn't have Skafanski, and Baker Mayfield struggles with pressure in his face. So there was not one thing that I saw, and I'm a pretty good NFL capper. Yes, this year I'm down compared to years past, but if you look at my three-year sample of NFL betting, I I know NFL. And there was nothing, nothing at all saw me that, that that game was coming. Totally, totally shocked me. Flabbergasted. Flabbergasted with what I saw. And here's the funny thing. Some of you may know, I got the girl. Girl grew up in Pittsburgh. Huge Steelers fan. She had her Big Ben jersey on last night. Steeler pajama bottoms. She was ready to go. 21 nothing. She goes, I know we're doing the 75-day hard thing. Fuck it. Grabs a bottle of wine and hopped in the tub. 
And that is like, she just said, fuck it. So that's what I was dealing with last night, guys, which was entertaining and dealing with a hangover now. So that's always a plus. But, you know, yeah, like that, that was just really just not expected. And if the Browns, now here's the thing. The Browns are going to Kansas City next week. If their O-line, and their O-line's great. That's why I like the Browns going in this year, because they're O-line. Not because of Baker Mayfield, but because they're O-line. If they go in and they give Chubb the ball, which is a big if because Kofanski has a hard-on for Kareem Hunt, that team could be dangerous, and that, that's up to 10. So this that's a game that's tough for me, and this is this is why it's tough for me. Now, I haven't done my in-depth dive and looked at my analytics and my research and everything, but just off the top of my head, why that game's tough is, A, you have the Chiefs who didn't play last week and two weeks ago rest most of their starters. It's kind of like the Ravens did last year before they played the Titans. In those situations, I look to the other team. So that makes me look at the Browns. And I have made money betting this Browns team, and I was high on them this year. But are they satisfied? That's my thing. Are Is this team satisfied? Or is this team going to grab the moment that's in front of them? And that's why I need to do research and find out. And am I going to trust fucking Baker Mayfield? Because Mayfield historically has been bad with pressure in his face. He was 14 for 16 over two bills and two TDs with pressure in his face yesterday in the biggest game of his career. And I fucking hate ba- Baker Mayfield. But props to Mayfield because he fucking did produce. Is he going to be able to do that two weeks in a row? Are they going to give Chubb enough touches? That's my worrisome for Cleveland moving forward. And that's my thought process moving into the next game. Pittsburgh. It's going to be an interesting season in Pittsburgh. I mean, what what are they going to do with Big Ben? Is Big Ben done? Big Ben looked like shit yesterday. Big Ben looked like fucking dog shit yesterday to start the game. James Conner. Juju Smith, free agents. They definitely need to move on from Juju. And I pray that the Lions don't pick him up. Connor, they need to move on from Connor too. I And do they move on from Tomlin? Do they? Because you can make an argument that this team only winning one championship with what they've had over the last couple of years is underachieving. So it's, it's an interesting season. You know, in the last couple of weeks... Granted, they did; they were forced to because they were down. They were taking more shots down the field, but usually this is a dink and dunk offense. They weren't running the ball toward the end of the season. There's a lot of questions from Pittsburgh going into next year. So that is it for the NFL part of the show. Now let's turn to some hockey. Let's welcome Jason, a.k.a. Bully the Line, from Twitter and Instagram to the show. Jason, how you been, man? Good, man. Thank you for having me on. Hope everything's going well with you. Hey man, I got no complaints. Man, life is going great. We got we're recording this on Sunday. Loaded slate of NFL, man. From what I've seen on Twitter, you've been like killing the NFL, man. For once in my like gambling career, I finally did well uh, uh, on the NFL, man. So it's been lucky. That's been one of the hardest sports. So uh, definitely got lucky. Who knows? I'm gonna try to keep riding that wave, you know, into some other sports and possibly next year, but. Uh, I've definitely been on the the winning side for once. Usually I'm on the opposite side of that. And one of your best sports is the NHL, and the NHL is right around the corner starting on the 13th. So you're here to do a little uh, season preview. With this season being different than the normal and the teams playing teams back-to-back, 
is that going to kind of change the way, like, you cap stuff? Because now, like, there's no travel. They get two games back-to-back, maybe a day off. How is that going to change the way you bet games, or is it not? Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely it is. Um, the, the, this, the, the schedule that's with the NHL is kind of similar to the AHL, and I followed that with the Charlotte Checkers here locally, and that's how they would do things. They would do, like, a Friday-Sunday game. And one thing I, I noticed just, you know, casually as being a hockey fan and also playing hockey is when you have these back-to-back games, if anything happens in the game, that could, they get real chippy, there's a cheap shot, those things are going to carry on into that back-to-back game. Um and there's going to be a lot more fights this year. I think I think there's going to be a lot, just a lot more intensity because they're playing these teams back to back. They kind of know them uh, on day one, and they go into day two. So if there's a blowout game one, look for that that you know look for that other team to kind of bounce back in those kind of situations. So I like the back to back scheduling. Brings you back even to the uh, '90s. That's what they used to do it in the '90s with the playoffs. They would do back to back playoff games. They don't do it anymore because of the TV and everything now. But the rivalry just intensified. So, yeah, that's, it's definitely going to come into play. And you could actually probably catch some good dogs on these back-to-back games. Um, so, like, uh, one team I'm going to be looking at is the Red Wings because you're probably going to get them at a plus 200 price maybe on a back-to-back or catch a team with playing three games in, you know, five nights. Or, that, 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 that rest period is going to come into play, too. So it's definitely going to uh, play, a, play a part. Yeah, it's definitely something we have never seen before. And, I mean, I'm the 90s when my Red Wings used to be relevant. Thanks for the reminder, buddy. Um, <laughs> Hell yeah. So with there being four divisions this year and the top four from each division making the playoffs, which teams do you feel will make the playoffs and why? Yeah, absolutely. And the one thing about this year's format is it's, it's going to be a little bit different. I don't know if you've uh, you know kept up with it or not, but basically like the top four teams from the division then play each other in the playoffs – and then the winner of the four goes and they reseed that and they redo it all again in another bubble. Uh, so I'm not sure if you know how the playoff, uh, that new format is, but that's kind of how that's going to be going into this season. Um, and, you know, starting off in the, you know, in the West, man, I got, uh, and I'm just going to start with the teams I, that I like and then kind of give you like a sleeper with that fourth team. Uh, I got Colorado, Vegas, and the Blues all to make the playoffs. The one team that I think that's going to, you know, kind of, you know, do some damage, kind of sneak in as the Arizona Coyotes. If you remember last year, they had uh, Kemper and Darcy. They went off on a huge run in the playoffs last season with Arizona. Uh, they were just playing uh, lights out hockey uh, into the you know into the, uh, the the previous round. You know, to get into the playoffs, and then they beat uh, Nashville. Uh, but they but they were playing just phenomenal hockey at the time. And I think that's going to carry. They got some young guys um, on that team too that are going to be able to. Um, you know, put that you know put that team over over the hump. They're going to have Dvorak, Garland, and uh, Clayton Keller, and those are all young guys trying to come into their mold. So I think I like for them to sneak into the playoffs uh, this year. The Coyotes, um, and then you know in the Canadian division, I uh, like Montreal, Toronto, uh, Winnipeg, and then I like Calgary too as well. Calgary made some moves um, in the off season uh, to bring in some talent. They also got the Vancouver. Uh, goaltender there too as well, uh, uh, Markstrom over too. So that's going to help them out a lot. They do have they got a lot of scoring, uh, a lot of scoring with um, you know uh, Manahan and Thachuk. So they got they're going to score score some uh, score some goals, and then they got Markstrom as their as their uh, goalie too as well. So I like them to sneak in too as well. Um, 
And then I got in the central, I got Tampa Bay, Carolina, and also obviously the stars. They were in the Stanley Cup finals last uh, last season. Then I got the Panthers. They uh, they brought in two new uh, players, uh, uh, Patrick, uh, Patrick Hornquist and Alex Weberg. Uh, the only question mark I have with them is their goaltending. They got an older goaltender there in Florida. Um, so that may cause uh, you know some number of issues with them because they still have uh, uh, – uh, Rogowski, uh, they signed him to a massive deal um, last season. He had one of his worst uh, seasons last year, so look for him uh, to kind of bounce back there with uh, Sergei Bobrovsky. So I look for them to kind of sneak in the playoffs too as well. And then one of the hardest divisions of the East, basically it is uh, a coin flip with this division just loaded um, you know, with talent in this division. You've got uh, you know, the Buffalo Bruins, you got the Boston Bruins, Buffalo Sabres, uh, you know, Flyers. Team another also the Washington Capitals and then so basically every team except the New Jersey Devils who also lost their goaltender say Corey Crawford who retired they're not gonna make the playoffs so that whole division is a whole coin flip to me so you can just basically flip a coin and pick out four teams from that division. I mean it's crazy to think looking at those teams that one of I mean it's realistic the Bruins or the Islanders or the Flyers. Or the Capitals may not make it, which is crazy. Yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely, and I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of dive into that too as well, uh, you know, later on. Now, the North Division, aka the Canadian Division, is the most interesting division to me. Due to travel restrictions, teams in Canada are grouped together, and you have all these rivalries. And you talked about people being chipper if the game if the game like gets a little chippy, a little bit more fighty fights. So, I mean, that's kind of like the division I'm looking forward to the most, given the fact my wings are probably two, three years away from doing anything. What what division are you looking forward to the most? I, th- I think it's going to be that East division, man. I, th- I think that is just a, a log jam of teams that anything can happen, uh, you know, in that division. I, I look, really do look forward to that. and I do like that Canadian division, too, as well, man. Uh, I just love the... I think the Cup's probably going to go back to Canada this year. That's one of my bets. I'll, I'll like to sort of dive in that later. But that East Division, man, just a long jam of teams uh, besides the Devils. Um, and who knows what can happen. And that's one thing about hockey is, um, you know, any team can come come out of that division. Just really, you know, just a lot. You really just don't know. Um, you know, so I, so I like that East Division. I'm going to keep my eye on that a lot this season. Yeah, I mean, hockey, you can get a couple of bouncing pucks and stuff. Can you just kind of kind yeah. of break your way. Case in point, uh, two years ago when the Jackets beat the uh, Lightning in the first round of the, the playoffs. Yes. Um, yep. Are there any teams that you feel will underachieve this year? And if so, why? Yeah, uh, one of the teams I'm looking at is probably going to be an underachie- underachiever is going to be the Nashville Predators. Um, they missed the playoff for the second, con- the second consecutive season and kind of had a little bit uh, of an underwhelming offseason. They lost Craig Smith, Kyle Turris, uh, Nick Bonino, and also Austin Watson, and they didn't um, actually improve with those losses. Um, so I look for them to kind of uh, not make the playoffs, kind of be that underachieving team. And also, um, they're goaltending, too. They got a, they got a goaltender in uh, Pickering, who's uh, in his 40s. So he's kind of approaching the end of his line. So I don't look for the, the, you know, the Predators to – uh, make any moves this year. Okay. All right. One of the teams I fell in love with with the bubble, and they made me some serious coin, was the Vancouver Canucks. 
with them losing their goalie from last year and signing Brandon Holtby, how is that going to affect the team with the change in goaltenders? Am I going to be able to back my Canucks as much as I did last year? Um, they are going to, um, you know, when I when I look at them, that that's the one thing that I think was the question mark was their goaltending because they were the bottom ten in defense last year, and you know, losing, um, I think they made a downgrade at that uh, at the goaltending spot by uh, getting uh, Holtby instead of and losing Marcus. I think that was a downgrade. Um, so and they didn't. They did have some pieces on on defense to help make that defense a little bit better, but I don't think it's enough. So uh, to me, I think they're they're also going to be one of those underachieving teams, um, you know, this season. And I don't. I just think they didn't make the right moves this off season. Do so you, I, w- I wouldn't try to put my money in. Maybe not this year. Uh, you know, on them. Do you think the Canucks will be one of the four that get into the uh, playoffs in the Canadian uh, division? N- no, I don't. I don't have them as as one of my teams. I don't. I don't think they'll be able to get in. Just because of the issue, just because I think that their defense has uh, got some question marks, and then you add the goaltending downgrade, I, I don't, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. Now, NHL, in my eyes, winning the Stanley Cup is always the toughest thing to do. No one has done it since my Red Wings did it back in the '90s. Um, the Lightning have had some injuries. Are they going to be able to overcome like the injuries they've had? To make a run to at repeating, yeah. Um, I, just because they lost uh, Chernoff, I think that um, they still have the firepower to still make it. Uh, still to be one of the best teams in the league. They still got one of the best goaltenders, uh, you know, in the league. Still got Steven uh, Stamkos. There, most teams when they lose a player like that uh, would affect them, but this team, no, they've got enough pieces to plug in and still be one of the top teams in the NHL. Now, I'm sitting here in my office. I got my Red Wings hat on. I'm looking at my Stevie Y autographed jersey that's hung up in the rafters here in the office. What about my Red Wings? Are they going to be a bottom feeder? Are they going to be sniffing? I mean, do I have? Am I going to be watching any meaningful Detroit hockey toward the end of the season? I mean, uh, I think it might be another uh, bleak season for you, man. Steve Eisman's making the moves, and you can't really can't go anywhere but up, you know, when you're a Red Wings fan. I mean, they, they I mean, the, the the one main thing is they've got some real good young pieces, and you know, they can be able to score. There's their goaltending is really bad, and that's what's going to just kind of put them in a hole. Um, so I mean, it's anywhere but up. But I mean, they just got too many young players, and um, you know, that that goaltending is just a huge, huge question mark. And so I, I see them kind of in the bottom with, uh, you know, the New Jersey Devils. But uh, the one bright side with uh, a team like this is that back-to-back um, asterisk mark. When you, get, when you catch a team on a back-to-back, you can probably get Detroit at a plus, you know, 250, 245 money line price and get just kind of sneaky out some good, you know, good cash there. So that's going to be uh, not all bad things with Detroit, especially as a, you know, as a better. So they're going to be one of those teams I I – uh, on uh, you know, eye on it, on those back-to-back games, man. Now let's take a look at the future. The future betting market. Are there any futures you've locked in? Any that are catching you, catching your eye? If so, why? Yeah, um, I absolutely love the Montreal Canadiens this year. Um, they were able to add uh, Tyler Toffee from the uh, Edmonton Oilers, and also they were able to bring in uh, Jake Allen from St. Louis. Uh, St. Louis Blues as the backup goalie, and that's key because last season 
Uh, Carey Price played the most games out of any goaltender in the NHL. He played 58 games, which they did not have a good backup goalie, and that kind of affected the way that they, you know, way they played. And just to have him, you know, be able to have that rest, shortened season, I think this just it adds adds up to be a, um, a perfect storm for the Montreal Canadiens and to bring that cup back to Canada, which has been over 23 years since the Can- any Canadian team has won the Stanley Cup. So at 22 to one, I absolutely love the price of the Montreal Canadiens, um, and I think they're going to do some damage this year. Wow, that's a great price. Great price. I mean, could you imagine that party? Hopefully, like COVID, everyone's vaccinated and we're out of this hole we're in right now. But if they hoisted the cup in Montreal, could you imagine that party? Uh, I, I, it's sad because I think I think of the same thing with the Buffalo Bills this year. The team is finally hitting on strides, winning, and only 6,000 fans can go enjoy, uh, you know, their first playoff game. There probably won't, there probably be like 10,000 fans at the Super Bowl. Most won't be able to get in. Yeah, it is, um, it's, you know, it's just a bad thing for those teams that have that tradition and those great loyal fans to miss out on those sort of things. And it's kind of weird, like, you know, I don't mean to go on a tangent, but it was kind of weird watching that Bills game last yesterday. Like, yeah, Rivers was actually having a little trouble with the crowd noise. That there was only six thousand there. I completely, <laughs> I completely forgot how how the noise and everything. I mean, like, it compl- completely forgot when watching the game about it. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And they did. It did almost sounded like a full stadium. That's how rabid those, you know, that Bills mafia is uh, there in Buffalo and. Did you it, it, it's, it's, it's just so weird, uh, you know, seeing that type of stuff. I agree with you. Yeah, I mean, it would be great for the city of Montreal, and who knows. Last year, I was supposed to go up to Calgary, I believe, was it? It was uh-huh. Calgary to to an NHL playoff game. I've only been to one oh. NHL playoff game in my history. This is uh-huh. going to be playoff game number two, but then, of course... Oh, wow, that's a bummer. The Rona hit. But So maybe, maybe I'll make a little trip up. To Montreal, if uh, if they make it, Dude, that, that would be awesome. I would love to go up there too, as well. Um, now, what is your Stanley Cup prediction? Will Joel Thornton finally win that Stanley Cup? Oh man, um, I don't. Uh, I don't think he will. Um, just because of, um, you know, uh, the, the Capitals, I know you signed up with the Capitals and, um, I mean, the Capitals have the talent and I, and I do have them, um, to, you know, to make the, uh, to make the East. I just think it's too little too late for him, but I do, I, I hope it happens. I hope I'm wrong on that because I love watching the older guys win the cup. Like when Ray Bork won his cup with this, with the Colorado Avalanche, uh, when, Rod Brindamore won one with the Carolina Hurricanes. Those older guys that get to hoist it is such a great uh, sports moment that I hope it does happen to them. Um, I just look at the Capitals roster, and they're you know they're getting older by the year, but they do have the they they, they look great on paper, but they're just unable to kind of you know uh, you know do it on the ice. But I mean, they did win the cup uh, you know a couple years ago, but I I hope it can happen again for them. So uh, I will be deep down kind of root for him to get that you know get that cup. Um, you know, as one of the veterans of the league. Yeah, I mean, he's one of those guys that's just dying to get that cup, and he's just he's just hanging on. I really think if he would have got one back in those San Jose days or even last year, I mean, there's no way yep. he'd still be in the league. But um, let's put it on tape, buddy. What 
is your prediction for the Stanley Cup? Who who's uh who's rising, ri- lifting it up? Man, I um as one of my bets, I got my my Carolina Hurricanes uh, in the Stanley Cup this year. Um, they got a bunch of young pieces that are finally coming together. Um, you know, an offense with uh, with Andre Svistikov, uh, Sebastian Ajo. Tio Teravainen, who is all that front line man, who's got who can score goals for the Canes. They got the defense with uh, Nino Niederreiter, uh, Martin Nikas. They have all they have all the the point, all, all the pieces to kind of make that Stanley Cup run. And they you know they were in the play they were in the um, playoff last year. They lost to Boston, um, you know, fairly fairly handily. But I think that's a growing uh, you know grow, growing pains for this young team. And I think the key to all this is that is Dougie Hamilton and Rod Brindamore being their coach. Uh, Dougie Hamilton's that veteran that can keep that young core together, and I think that's key. And I think this this is what this is the year that Carolina is going to go over the cup. So I like them to make to not only win the I mean win the cup, but make the Stanley Cup Finals from the East. And I also like um, the Vegas Golden Knights too as well. I like them uh, to come out of the West uh, this year. So, so you got uh, but but the, but the format's all different. Yeah. So it doesn't necessarily have to be. It could it could be two uh, like two central, two east teams. But um, out of all of them, I like Carolina and Vegas. Yeah, this format's going to be completely different. Yeah, something so, we've never yeah. seen before. So I mean, I'm, I am kind of putting her on the spot with that one. Um, I am going to go. You know what? I I feel Colorado's knocking on the door with all their young talent, and I know that's the chalk, but. With all the young talent they have and with the run they made last year, I think they learned from it. And I think, uh, you know, as a Red Wing fan, it pains me to say this, but I think the Avalanche are hoisting up the cup this year. They are a strong team. They can, they can easily do it. Jason, thank you for coming on. Why don't you tell everyone where they can find you, give everyone all your plugs. Yeah, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at BullyTheLine. Um I usually post some plays on there sometimes, just kind of give uh, my thoughts. But you can follow me on there and hopefully hear from you. Thanks for coming on, my man. Be safe, be well, and we will talk soon. All right. Thanks again, man. Thanks for having me. Thank you for Jason for coming on. Jason is a great follow. Make sure you guys are following him on social media, Bully the Line, Twitter, and Instagram. Great follow for hockey. If you guys have questions, I've asked him questions about capping hockey, and he's always answered my questions. That is it for today's episode. I will be back on Saturday for the next edition of the episode. Also, remember, Wednesday, rankings will be coming out. I'll try to have a blog post up, let me think, probably tomorrow and Friday. I'll be on the Gino Bacala podcast this week breaking down the Sunday games with him. Saturday the podcast comes out. Let's keep it rolling in the 2021. Be safe, be well, and I will talk to you all soon.